Prohibition came to North Carolina, thank you to the government, about 10 years before uh, before the 18th Amendment to the Constitution. So Prohibition came here early. The wonderful story of the Hoyts didn't end well because the state put them out of business. Every bed and breakfast has a story, and as you just heard from Rick Bell, sometimes there isn't always a happy ending. Uh, Rick is one of the owners of Engadine Inn and Cabins in Candler, just outside Asheville. Uh, He'll share the story of this property, which has seen quite a bit since it was developed in the late 19th century. Now, the original family were winemakers, but were shut down by the government, as Rick explained. The bacon, the bacon, there's a story about that. There's always a story about at, at a bed and breakfast. Um, the bacon was actually inherited the bacon from the owners that we bought the inn from. If you've ever spent time in a bed and breakfast like Engadine, you know the conversation's going to eventually shift to the food that starts your day, am I right? Rick there was talking about his famous bacon that he serves up. I was, I was laughing with somebody this morning at breakfast. I said, you know, to be in the hospitality business, I don't feel very hospitable right now. Of course, 2020 being 2020, we do talk about how everyone at Engadine is adapting to what's going on in the world right now, even the guests, uh, and also some hopeful future developments on the property, which was really interesting to hear about. Most of the conversation does stay on the property, but we do spend some time talking about Rick's favorite place to go in North Carolina, and some he hopes to see in the future. We even discuss our thoughts on when you should be traveling if you'd like to avoid crowds right now. With busy holidays around the corner, we'll give you some ideas. There's a lot to unpack here. Let's just get into this episode of NC Travel Chat with Rick Bell from Engadine. I'm your host, Carl Hedinger. We operate a five-room bed and breakfast, uh, but also on our 12-acre property, we have uh, six cabins, and we also have two event venues that we use for weddings and family reunions and group events from time to time. So we're part of the the Asheville lodging community, if you will. How did you decide on Candler? Because I know it's what about, would you say about 15, 20 minutes outside of yep. downtown? About 15 minutes. Yeah, we, um, prior, to, prior to moving to North Carolina and doing this about five and a half years ago, we owned an event planning business that we had owned for about 14 years. We had sort of grown weary of, and it was primarily well, not primarily, it was exclusively corporate events. Uh, we had just sort of grown weary of what we were doing. It was time for a change. We were tired of living in South Florida. So we set out to buy a property and looked all throughout Western North Carolina. We picked this one for a couple of reasons. Uh, one, because it was near Asheville. Two, because it, has, because it had acreage with it, 12 acres, that we could use to develop an event destination. We were really fortunate that we found what we did because not only do we have the Asheville amenities, but we have some really, really dramatic views from here. To be as close to Asheville as we are, I think a lot of times our guests are surprised at the views that we have from here. So that's kind of how we got here and what we've been doing to, to try to change the experience here. I love the view that's on the backside of the property with the <laughs> two chairs, nice. right? Yeah, there's a, there's actually more than that. It's uh, yeah, people enjoy going back to that fire pit to watch the sunset. It's it's pretty spectacular. And in the morning, even if you're staying in the cabins, I uh, love you know stepping outside of a front porch and it's just yeah, gorgeous. That's true. 
Yeah, that's the that's the other view that we have. Um, it, we're like I said, we're really fortunate in that regard. Can you take us through a stay at Engadine? Like, what can somebody expect? Sure. Well, um, there's really sort of two experiences here. The first is the traditional bed and breakfast. Uh, the house itself was built in 1885. It was built by a family that operated it as a vineyard. This was a 107-acre winery, basically, and it operated until Prohibition came along. So the house itself is is the bed and breakfast part of the of the experience here, and it's a traditional B and B. It's you know you stay in a Victorian home, a lot of antiques and you know traditional lodging amenities that you would see. Uh, it also includes breakfast. We serve two-course breakfast each morning in the dining room to guests of the inn. Because it is a bed and breakfast, it's a little more social experience. You know, you, you do encounter other, other people. We're sort of limiting that a little bit right now, but it is a traditional bed and breakfast. And then the other, the other part of the property is the cabins. They're a little more private. They all have their own kitchens. They don't participate in the breakfast that we serve in the inn. They're really out there for people to kind of create their own experiences. Um, and it's, it's kind of interesting. We, um, uh, people, when, since we live in the inn, uh, we periodically will see guests of the inn come and go. But sometimes the cabin guests, we never see them after they check in and until they check out. They're just out sort of doing their own thing. So we can offer both kinds of experiences. And sometimes people return guests, you know, they'll stay in the inn one time, the next time they might stay in a cabin. Um, so it, it really kind of offers two different experiences here. Uh, you mentioned how things might be different now, of course, with the coronavirus. How are you adapting to that right now? Well, it starts with check-in. Well, actually, it starts before check-in. We're, we, along with all the lodging facilities, licensed lodging facilities in North Carolina, are using the CDC guidelines for our cleaning protocols, you know, doing everything we can to protect guests and employees from COVID. So it starts prior to, to people getting here, you know, the room, getting the rooms cleaned. When possible, we're trying to leave a room or a cabin vacant for at least 24 hours before we even go in to clean it after someone has stayed in it. Um, so we're doing what we can, you know, up front to get ready for guests so that they can feel safe when they get here. Um, then when it comes to check-in, I was, I was laughing with somebody this morning at breakfast. I said, you know, to be in the hospitality business, I don't feel very hospitable right now. Primarily because we don't, we're not seeing people. We've we've created a self check-in process, whether you're staying in the inn or the cabin, so that you can check yourself in. Basically, we leave a packet at the front door of the inn for each room or cabin, with the guest name on it. Uh, the packet contains uh, some paperwork that they can fill out and return during their stay or check out. It'll include instructions for how to get to their room or cabin. If they're staying in a cabin, it also has a map in it so that they can see where the cabin is on the property. And then, of course, a key or keys. And uh, that way, guests can, can check themselves in. Huh. And then as far as the, 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 the inn is concerned, breakfast, 
that's really weird uh, because we we're still serving the breakfast that we're famous for. It's a two course breakfast, but we're serving it not as two courses. We we ask guests to stay out of the dining room until everything is on the table. So we're putting both courses on the table. Uh, coffee, juice, water, you know, every, everything that goes with breakfast is on the table before anyone comes into the dining room. We're doing assigned seating. And once we give the word, people can sit down and that way we don't have to serve them coffee or juice. They have everything they need at the table. And it's kind of, you know, it's kind of self-service actually. But that way it limits our contact with them. We're also not filling the inn right now. We have five rooms so that we can keep people socially distanced, including in the dining room. And that's why we're doing the assigned seating to make sure that everybody stays away, you know, away from other people. And that, and that must be tough for you to not be able to, you know, talk to people because that's that yeah, was one well, of the things. I mean, that's what's cool about a bed and breakfast. You know, it's not like a hotel where you don't really, you know, you don't really get to know the people who you're staying with, you know, a bed and breakfast by its very nature is, is a kind of a social experience. And part of the joy of being in the, in the business or for those people who like staying in bed and breakfast, it's all about the interaction, about telling the stories about, about the house, about the winery, you know, being able to talk to them about what there is to see and do in Asheville or what great restaurants there are in town or where the nearest waterfalls are or, where to take the kids to go swimming, you know, those, those kind of personal connections that make the bed and breakfast experience so unique are hard to have right. And I mean, we're still doing it, but you know, with, you know, even, even when I'm around people, it's just strange because you know, you've got a mask on and they have a mask on, they can't really see you. So it's very different. It's very, very different. Yeah. People seem to be enjoying it. It's funny. We we had somebody check out yesterday. I mean, uh, this morning who said, I, I just had to get out. I just had to get out of my house. And he said, I've never stayed in a bed and breakfast before. He said, this was the perfect experience for what we wanted to do. So, you know, people still enjoy it. They're still looking for ways to get away and, and reasons to get away. But it's just very different. And I don't think there are many uh, places that are like Engadine because you know you could stay in one of the nice cabins which we did you could stay in the inn and be more I would say when you're in the inn it's more of like a closer experience to -hmm. you and to all the other people who are staying there and I think one of the great things you know you mentioned about giving people tips for things to do and getting around it's got to be hard to probably not be able to do that as much yeah, well, I mean, a lot of that's built on, here's a map, and you turn on this road, and let me draw it for you, you know. <laughs> it's kind of, it's see here on the map, you know, from six feet away, it's kind of, it's kind it's tough, you know. Um, but people, everybody's kind of, so far we haven't had any really, any bad experiences with anybody just, you know, melting down because, because of what's happening, uh, everybody yeah. kind of does their best to go with the flow. And so we're trying to do the same thing. You know? So let's talk about some happier things. The breakfast, okay. for one. You know, that was one thing that really blew me away when we were there. Uh, the bacon. Is that something you're still doing? Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I just answered an email this morning for a reservation that we have coming up. 
this lady wrote me this whole long thing about coming back to Engadine. She stayed with us last year at Christmas, I think. But anyway, she was by herself. She's bringing her husband this time. And she just went on about the bacon. And I said, okay, we'll make sure we serve the bacon. The bacon, <laughs> I mean, we are, you know, it's funny. We, neither one of us is a chef or certainly not trained. But we, we've always enjoyed cooking. And um, I think over the years, we've learned, learned to do that pretty well. My girth, if you could see it, would uh, probably be good, good uh, evidence of that. But when we came here, we thought, you know, we, we really wanted to, to, to create this unique breakfast experience. So we really take the time. It's not just about the food, but it's also about how the food looks, what the plates look like when they go out of the kitchen. So that it, people really feel like it's a, an, an unusual experience, you know, dining experience. And then it's equal to, at least equal to, some of the other really great dining experiences that you can have in a place like Asheville, where there's so many good and famous restaurants. The bacon, the bacon, there's a story about that. There's always a story about, at, at a bed and breakfast. Um, the bacon was actually, we inherited the bacon from the owners that we bought the inn from. And... Um, Two ladies on the end, one of them primarily did the cooking. Sadly, she passed away after, uh, sometime after we bought the end. But this bacon recipe was hers. It's applewood smoked bacon that's thick cut. We sprinkle it with brown sugar and chopped pecans. It's very simple, but it's baked. It's not, it's not fried. And it, we, we slow bake it in the oven. And um, it's pretty... If I do say so myself, it's pretty good. Um, but it's Gretchen's recipe, and we call it that. But, you know, that's one of the things that, you know, that creates conversation uh, is what we serve for breakfast. And, and in particular, the bacon is famous. And uh, you do change it up, though. I remember that, oh, yeah. right? Like yeah, we do. Uh, we do two courses every day. Uh, there's a fruit course of some kind and then a hot entree course and we mix it up we try to do one day is a savory day the next day is a sweet day um and for guests who are here we've had guests stay with us for a week or 10 days um oh, we wow. do everything we, we do everything we can not to serve the same thing twice so every day that you sit down to breakfast it's supposed to be different each day sometimes especially for a 10-day stay that gets kind of hard because you have to, first of all, you have to remember what you served, and then you have to come up with something <laughs> new. But it's part of what we try to create here. You know, it's almost like yeah. I think some guests kind of, okay, let's see what these guys are going to come up with today. Surely they've got to serve something again. But so far, <laughs> we've been able to pull it off. I remember you mentioning something because uh, a little bit ago you mentioned the history of the property and how it was used to grow grapes for wine. You mentioned something to me about that, that you were going to maybe start doing that again because you had one of the original vines there. Yeah, there is one vine that is left. It happens to be on the driveway. And when we came here, we knew it was there, but you couldn't see it. It was completely, I mean, the property was so massively overgrown when we bought it. You couldn't see the place from the road. And there were a lot of people who never knew this house was up here. Uh, when we came here, we cut down 20. 21 dying or dead trees out front. Wow. And we really opened it up so that you could see it. And in the process of doing that, we gingerly uncovered this grapevine that we knew was underneath it. And we made this kind of split rail fence kind of trellis thing. 
and it came back. And so it's 130 something years old. Wow. In fact, our housekeeper makes jelly out of it that we sell to people. It's very sweet, great. Um, but it was part of the history of the place. And we never, you know, I don't, I'm not really interested in getting into the wine business. Um, I've, I've, you know, I heard somebody one time in California say that, that um, the, the, the quickest way to turn a, a large fortune into a small fortune is to start a winery. <laughs> but we have talked about if we're able to develop the property along the lines that we'd like to develop it with adding additional cabins and event venue or two or something like that, we would like to take cuttings from that existing grapevine and sort of create a tribute to the family. Their name was Hoyt. And to create a, a tribute to Captain and Mary Hoyt for what they came here to do in 1885. So it's so kind of out there along with the plan to develop the property and hopefully we'll be able to do it one day. Because it is such a cool story. I mean, yeah. it, it's such a neat place. How did you know the vine was still there? The previous owners had told us about it, and the neighbors knew about it, believe it or not. A, a lot of the people around us kind of know the history of this place and what it was. They told us when they knew that we were going to clear it so that you could see the house. They warned us to be careful because they said that's where the grapevine is over there. So we were we were very aware of it when they were when when they were out there working. And today, the guys who come to cut the grass they know to stay away from that grapevine. That would be a bad thing if one of them had one of their weed eaters yeah. out, and you know, just that'd be a of... bad thing. Yeah, it's pretty big actually, but still a great you know grapevines. If you if you nick them or, or or like cut them improperly, they um, you know obviously they've got a lot of water inside of them and they sort of bleed oh. if you're not careful around them. So you have to be really careful. It's hung on all these years. Do you still grow uh, tomatoes and other things? Uh, we do. We have a vegetable garden and a an herb garden that we use and we cook from. It's kind of weird though. This year I had trouble with okra. And I heard other people say the same thing. And my tomato plants, I don't know. I've got, I've got tons of tomatoes, but they're only like this big. They're beginning to turn red. I, I don't know. And the same with the, 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 um, the herb garden. Was my squash, pretty squ squash plants, no squash yet. I don't know. Maybe, maybe Mother Nature kind of got word that the world is all out of whack right now. And Mother Nature's out of whack because my gardens aren't doing very well. <laughs> That's possible. Yeah, so, I don't know. It's very weird. So do you and Tom, do y'all split things at the end? Like, how does, do. how does that work? We owned a business before in Florida, and we were very fortunate that we both have sort of different skill sets that complement each other, really. And when we came here, I, I don't know if it was just we sort of picked up where we left off when we left Florida, but we were able to to take advantage of, of the fact that one, we had worked together in a business for 14 years and, um, uh, and lived together all this time and not killed each other. <laughs> and um, we just sort of fell into our roles here. And, um, um, you know, it's sort of divide and conquer. Unless there's, you know, a day when, when your job is everything, 
you know, when we've got a big turnover or something like that, and it's all hands on deck. Uh, yeah. So he kind of, he takes care of the administrative parts of things. I'm more the chef. Sometimes he cooks, uh, but mostly he's the one serving breakfast. So it's, it kind of works. You know, okay. we're fortunate in that regard. That's always good to, yeah. to know, to know who can do what. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you still of... have to, you still have to both know how to ride the bike because sometimes, you know, if I can't get on the bike this morning for whatever reason, you know, he needs to get on it. So, you know, now that we've been here for five and a half years, we've kind of figured that out. And before you owned it, you said there was another person who owned it. Were they mm-hmm. from what, back in the eighties or the nineties? Well, the, uh, the house was the, the, the history of the house. It was, it's all, it's almost always been occupied. So that's why the, it, it's in such good shape. Um, it was well taken care of. It was primarily lived in by families. So the Hoyts lived here until the early 1900s, I think around 1908. Prohibition came to North Carolina, thank you to the government, uh, (laughs) about 10 years before uh, before the 18th Amendment to the Constitution. So Prohibition came here early. So the, the, the wonderful story of the Hoyts didn't end well because the state put them out of business. But then through the years, it was always occupied by families. One family owned it by the name of Howell. They owned it from uh, the, the 1940s through the 1980s. And it was in the late 80s when they sold it to someone who turned it into a bed and breakfast back right. then. And um, it's turned over ownership a, a few times in the years since then. Everybody's sort of done different things to it. But it's been a and b for about, about 30 years. Probably our hope, our plan was or is the most ambitious of, of, the, of the plans that I'm at least aware of for the 30 years that it's been an end. Uh, because our hope is to really develop the property. It, it has, with these spectacular views that we have and our proximity to Asheville and its amenities, it just is... It's a waste that there's not that, that there's not more happening here. And interestingly, we wrote the business plan to to create this new place, and we've struggled over the past couple of years to try to find a developer or an investor to help us do it because it's a huge project. Um, but nobody's been interested in doing that. They've been really more interested in investing in you know another high rise hotel in downtown Asheville, and you know there's a lot of those right now. Yeah. Um, and we were trying to say, hey, we're out here, you know, we've got this really cool piece of property and we could, our idea was to build cabins and turn this really more into a cabin-oriented lodging facility. And But nobody really wanted to talk to us. Now with COVID, everybody's sort of going, wow, this wasn't such a bad idea after all. And we've at least had some, begun to have some conversations oh. that could wind up being productive. Um you know, they, we might actually be able to pull off one way or another. I mean, there's some strange ideas out there, but we might actually be able to pull it off now. Is that because they're, they would be viewed more as short-term rentals? Well, they could be. I think it's more that, and I'm glad you actually brought that up, because short-term or vacation rental properties right now are really in are really having a, a strong, strong bookings right now. 
And the, and the reason is because, I mean, if you think about it, you can go away with your family. Everybody can stay in one house or one cabin. And you don't have to walk through a lobby with strangers. You don't have to get in an elevator and push buttons and be enclosed in an elevator or a hallway with strangers or anything like that. So companies like VRBO and Airbnb are seeing a real demand for individual houses or cabins, cottages, that kind of thing. And I think that's why our cabins have been so popular this summer. It's crazy how, how, how much interest there has been in our cabins this summer. And I think that's really what people are, you know, given a preference, if there's a way to, to still travel and vacation uh, and be socially distanced, that's why cabins are, or cottages are real popular right now. Same thing with RVs. People are looking for alternative ways to travel and yet still feel safe and isolated from one another. Yeah. I've seen that at campgrounds, a lot of RVs. Campgrounds Campgrounds are killing it right now. Yeah. So that's, that's why I think there is interest in a property like this to, you know, take it in and do something different with it. Certainly create a, the kind of different product that we had in mind for it when we bought it five years ago. Yeah. But time will tell, you know? Yeah. I hope, I hope it does going forward. And, uh, yeah. men- I mean, it's it, cause it'd be, a, I mean, it's such a great place. And, and, um, you know, <laughs> if we had more cabins, we could sell more cabins. That's for sure. There's no question about it right now. Yeah. I hope, I hope that gets, that gets going. Um, you mentioned going uh, in an RV somewhere. So if you're not, if you're not at Engadine, is there somewhere particular in North Carolina that you like going? I'm glad we have the RV. Uh, we don't get to use it as much as we'd like to. We bought it before we left Florida. Had we known we were going to do this, we probably wouldn't have bought it, (laughs) but we bought it. We had a boat in Florida. used to take the boat to the Bahamas and the Keys we thought, okay, we're done with boating, and we, so we bought an RV. Um, but when we came here, we learned pretty quickly that um, there are times of the year, especially after a holiday weekend, when things really slow down for about a week. Um, the major holiday weekends, the ne- that, that next week, and, and oftentimes the weekend afterwards, are just dead. Mm. So we'll close the inn a couple times a year and get in it. And, but we've only done trips around here. Um, you know, eventually, we've never been to the to the coast of North Carolina. Oh. Um, you know, I'd love to go and visit um, other parts of North Carolina, especially the coast, especially the, the Outer Banks. But we just haven't gotten that far yet. Um, as it is right now, we have a favorite little campground out near the old Balsam Inn <laughs> called Moonshine Creek. <laughs> it's a it's an old school family kind of it's owned by been owned by the same people for 20 or 25 years it's just a beautiful kind of old school campground great amenities they've invested in the property to make it really um, popular with a very loyal following and has this wonderful creek that flows right through the middle of it and that's kind of been our go-to place but hmm. hopefully if uh you know, as we get closer um, to the end of the summer, we'll have some time and maybe one of these days we'll make it out to the coast. Your point about 
after a holiday is right on because uh, I was talking to somebody in a previous episode about that uh, mm-hmm. where I went to Stone Mountain State Park up in uh, it's like Allegheny and Wilkes counties. And it was the day after the 4th of July, and there was sort of a forecast of rain, which never happened while I was there. It was empty. And it's a really popular park. Um, so you're well, we've always been, right. Um, even long before we, in a, a couple of lifetimes ago, we lived in Atlanta. We both used to work for Coca-Cola. And um, we, uh, we were part of the big layoff in 2000, which is what got us to Florida. Hmm. We decided to go down there and start a business. But anyway, we had, uh, when we were living in Atlanta, we would always wait until the end of the summer. Um, we, there was a lady that worked at Coke. She and her family had a, uh, this really cool house in a little place called Seagrove, Florida, right next to Seaside. And we would wait until after Labor Day weekend. And we would go down there, and we'd be the only people on the beach. Hmm. If you were there Labor Day weekend, you know, be crawling with people. And we just learned that you know you can you, that the, the crowds aren't what create the experience you know to go and to have a place to yourself i think would be a really cool thing to do so we sort of learned that early on and when we discovered here how things would just stop almost after a holiday weekend for about a week or 10 days we thought wow this is the opportunity to jump in the, the RV and, and go see something. And yeah, so that's what we're going to do. Yeah. This year we were at Atlantic beach, uh, which is on, it's, they call it the Bogue banks and uh, it's where Emerald Isle is. And uh, mm-hmm. the week after Memorial day and, you know, we're on the beach and it's, it's just chill. It was, yeah. it was wonderful. Yeah. Everybody thinks, and, and the prices are usually better too. Yeah. You know, cause, because the, the demand drops off and you can get in a restaurant, you know, I mean, all, for all the things, you know, the crowds aren't there and supply and demand. So. Yeah. So I hope you can, I hope you find a cool spot on the coast eventually. Well, uh, Rick, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me. One last thing I, I'd just like to ask, where can people find you online and find out more about Engadine? Probably the best place that's going to have the most information including availability and the best rates would be at our website, which is engadineinandcabins.com, all spelled out. Engadine is spelled E-N-G-A-D-I-N-E. Believe it or not, that's the historic name of the property. Um, Captain Hoyt, when he built this place, thought the terrain around this part of North Carolina looked like the Engadine Valley in Switzerland. So that's why he called it Engadine. We gave it its historic name back when we bought it. And uh, so they could go to engadineinandcabins.com. But we're also on Facebook and Instagram. Um, we do participate in some of the online travel sites oh, like yeah. Expedia and Hotels.com. But, mm. of course, rates are higher there. The best thing to do is to is come directly to us or any lodging facility for that matter. Absolutely. To get the best, most complete, most accurate information and to get the best rates. Uh, there, there are, uh, on all of those platforms, there are a lot of pictures of the property, including um, including the views, which are always important to people. Absolutely. So, you know, we encourage people to check check us out. And, of course, if they have questions after that, they can always call us and, and talk to us. 
Yeah. And I, I do always urge people to book direct because uh, for me and my personal experience, um, if something happens and you need to make a change, mm-hmm. it's much easier, I think, to call you and say, hey, I booked through your website. Yeah, and- it really is. You know, the other thing, too, that, that happens, and this happens sometimes a lot. Uh, if we're working directly with somebody, you're not just booking a room or a cabin. If we have, um, especially as we get close to like this coming weekend, as we get further into the week, if we have something that's available, that's not, not already sold and we have an opportunity to upgrade somebody, uh, to a larger cabin or a better view or, you know, something like that, you, you can do that by working directly with the property, but it's in your best interest to, to try to book direct. Yeah, absolutely. It's good for us too. I really thank you for talking with me. Hopefully we can yeah. you know, get back we'll to whatever whatever that normal was before this. I hope we can get closer to that. Yeah, absolutely. Local business owners like Rick are working so hard right now to keep their guests happy during these times. All the extra effort they're putting into maintaining things right now deserves a nod on its own and even some support from us all. If you plan to visit Western North Carolina and see availability at Engadine, please do yourself a favor and book a night or more there. Just a little disclosure, I was not paid to say that. If you've stayed at Engadine or any other locally owned B&Bs in North Carolina, we'd love to know why you love them too. You can do that in our private Facebook group, which if you haven't joined yet, please do. It's called North Carolina Travel with NC Tripping. Or you can get at us on Twitter and Instagram at NC Tripping. If you liked this episode of NC Travel Chat, we would love it if you subscribed. And wherever you're listening, please give us a review. That'll help us reach folks who love this state almost as much as you do. Because I know nobody loves it as much as you. Come on. Thanks again for listening to NC Travel Chat. Until next time, we hope to stay in touch and look forward to seeing you out there exploring North Carolina.